0: Good morning, church. Good morning. It's so good to be here with you, even to share on Ezekiel 33. Pastor furks took us through uh, an overview of the book of Ezekiel last week. It was probably one of the best overviews, you know, I've, I've ever uh, had the privilege of listening to, and it is so good. And today we're just zooming in into one uh, part of it, one chapter, Ezekiel 33. We're looking at Ezekiel, the watchman, we are also looking at the parallels with regards to how God spoke to him, how God guided him, and how he responded as a watchman to us being watchmen. In fact, God has placed each one of us strategically today in our respective locations to be his watchmen or sentinels. We are where we are today by God's perfect order and design, where you stay, what you're doing. You know, uh, God has placed us around the people that we are able to reach out to, the people that we can connect with, the people that we see every day sometimes, you know, and and of course, with this uh, pandemic, sometimes, you know, we are only meeting up with people on Zoom or something like that. But the people in our areas of concern and influence, to warn them, to exhort and encourage those who we are able to reach and connect with, to turn from evil and turn to him. And that's that's basically what uh, Ezekiel did in his time. Having gone through, you know, uh, la- la- last week's uh, overview, I'm just going to do a very broad sweep of Ezekiel 33 very quickly because it, there's a lot of, of stuff here to cover, but I'm going to be focusing mostly on uh, verses 1 to, to 9 and then of course, uh, 10 to 20. That's the, the two part thing that we're looking at. A little bit of Ezekiel's background, the Babylonian siege of Judah and Jerusalem lasted from 605 BC to 586. In the first wave of the deportation, the elite or upper class of society were deported. This was when uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, his three friends, they were the first batch. They were deported to Babylon in that first wave. Much later, now it's the eighth year of the siege, in 597 BC, Ezekiel was among the second wave to be deported. He was around 25 years old at this time, and he was from a priestly family. And in fact, if the Babylonian invasion had not happened, Ezekiel would have been called on to fulfill his priestly duties in the temple. But now, five years later, after being exiled, taken captive, and he is now in a refugee settlement along River Kebar an irrigation channel connecting the Tigris and the Euphrates Rivers. This was uh, what, uh, the, what do you call it, the irrigation uh, channel that uh, Pastor Fergus reminded us that could have been a long-kang-type size thing, okay? So... Uh, He is now 30 years old. It's five years later. And as he's there in the midst of this, captives in the refugee settlement, as a refugee himself, as an exile himself, God comes to him and the word of the Lord comes to him. God calls him out. Throughout his life, basically, when you look at Ezekiel, as you read through the whole book of Ezekiel, you'll see that Ezekiel faithfully decreed God's word. He faced a lot of opposition amongst uh, even amongst the exiles, where there were lots of people who claimed to be prophets, were saying all is well. You're going to go back. You know, we're going to go back. Uh, you know, soon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, a lot of them were false prophets. Most of them, in fact. And Ezekiel continued to declare the word of God and decree the word of God. And he served God obediently for more than two decades as a prophet. God did not let any of Ezekiel's words fall to the ground. Every word he spoke were, were practically God's word. In fact. The strange thing about Ezekiel, he had a lot of strange things happening. He was one of the weirdest prophets you'll you'll, you'll even read about in the Bible, right? But the thing is this, he was the only guy where God spoke to him and ordered him to speak exactly what God told him to, and that's all. In fact, God shut his mouth, you know, muted Ezekiel, that his tongue was stuck to the roof of his mouth, Unless God wanted him to speak, and God will speak to him, and he will go and decree God's word, and after that he couldn't speak anymore. Until I think much later, uh, in 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 verse twenty-two of of uh, of uh, chapter thirty-three, you'll see that God freed him from that. So the themes we are looking at in uh, in chapter thirty-three would be the same as. Uh, what we saw in chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel chapter 18. In Ezekiel chapter 3, God called Ezekiel to be a watchman over Israel. We see the same thing repeated in uh, chapter 33, verse 7. And then in Ezekiel chapter 18, God warned the people about what's going to happen through Ezekiel, reminding them about judgment. And just, you know, God was just, in a sense, pleading with these fellows to repent, you know, uh, and repent and live and again, much later now in, in, in uh, chapter 33, God is asking them to do the same thing, which shows that these guys, you know, they did not really take heed to what God was saying, right? So, even as we jump into uh, the book of Ezekiel 33, let's look at uh, verses 1 to 9. The first slide, let's just read this. the, the first one first, right? Let's read it together. Ezekiel Chapter 33, verses 1 to 5 on the first slide. And the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people who are exiled in Babylon and say to them, if I bring a sword on a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming on the land, and he blows the trumpet and warns the people. Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood shall be on himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life, right? Next slide, please. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, he is taken away because of his corruption and sin, but I will require his blood from the watchman's hand. Now as for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you shall hear a message from my mouth and give them a warning from me. When I say to the wicked, oh, wicked man, you will certainly die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way that the wicked man will die because of his sin. But I will require his blood from your hand. But if you on your part warn the wicked man to turn from his evil way, and he does not turn from his evil way, he will die in his sin. But you have saved your life. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word. God, even as we look at your word this morning, I ask for your spirit to minister to every one of us. God, that Lord, even as I share this, Lord, I ask your spirit to guide me, Father. And God, between my mouth and the ears of my brothers and sisters, let your word come alive. Let your word minister to them. Let it be Rema. Let it meet them at the point of their need. Let it meet every one of us at the point of our need this morning. the God, in all that is shared today, Jesus, you will be glorified. Jesus, your agenda and your agenda alone will be established in the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Let's go on to the next slide. Right, will we share the word? Basically, when you look at what's happening with Ezekiel, you're focusing on verse 7 of chapter 33, now as for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you shall hear a message from my mouth and give them a warning from me. See, what's happening here is God is con- God called Ezekiel in chapter 3. And then now in chapter 33, God is reiterating. God is repeating it, confirming it to Ezekiel, calling him as a watchman, for the house of Israel. And basically God is telling Ezekiel that you are, you are gonna be carrying my message to my people and you are going to warn them. So basically Ezekiel was assigned by God and commissioned by God to bring the word of the Lord to the people, bring a word of warning. I mean, it's quite a challenging thing, right? Can you imagine? He was not going to give them a message that was gonna be encouraging, exhorting, very good, you know, those feel-good messages that make your ears all really, like, uh, I don't know, maybe float in some uh, some bliss of, of sort. But this is a message that makes their ear tingle, a message message that makes them get mad, irritated, perhaps even terrified, or just, you know, the moment they see Ezekiel, they're thinking, oh no, this guy again, and, and guess what? He's going to be bringing a message of doom and gloom to us. But the fact is this, he was informed that he was going to be carrying the, the message of God as a watchman. He was informed that he was to carry the word of the Lord And that if he did not speak the word of the Lord, he would be held accountable. You know, one of the things for us as believers in Jesus is this. The greatest failure in evangelism, someone said, is not so much in saying the wrong things, but in not saying anything. We know that apart from the gospel of salvation, apart from Jesus, no man can be saved. But sometimes we just chill out or just zone out, not connecting with the people that God has put in our spheres of influence or existence. The thing is this, sometimes we wait, we sit and wait, hoping that people will come and ask us, what is so different about us? The fact is, if that is the case, then very few people will hear the gospel. We are called to be very, very dynamic, proactive in our proclamation, in living out the gospel, number one, of course, that is the, found, the fundamental thing, but also in proclaiming the gospel. As the watchman, Ezekiel is informed that he's not responsible for the reactions of the people, but for warning them. You know, In Ezekiel 33, verses 7 to 9, are we afraid of people's reactions? Ezekiel was not. Of course, he would have felt quite You know, uh, stressed out to some degree ministering to these fellows, you know, they rejected Ezekiel's message. And, you know, when we speak to others about the Lord Jesus, when we speak to people about the gospel, what are we afraid of? What are we so concerned about? Is it their rejection of our message, their stubbornness, their blatant ignorance? You know, there there was this this friend of mine who, who always told me, you know, that. Now I told him about Jesus, he'll tell me, ah, you know, Jesus, let's say Jesus comes at 12 o'clock. I mean, we all have heard this, right? Jesus, you know, will be coming when the clock strikes 12. He says, and I will just repent at 11.59. I will, he said, I will become a a good at 11.59 and, and give my life to Jesus at 11.59. The question is, what if he died at 10? You know, sometimes people just wait, even though they know it is wrong. Sometimes they just let it go. And they just don't want to hear those things because they think ignorance is bliss. So many reactions we have had. Some come outright and attack us. You know, there's bad reactions from all these people, even certain groups of people. You know, have these things got to us so much that we have closed ourselves to the message that God wants to release through us? Sometimes we refuse to reach out to certain people. We even write off some people saying, I are this, this bunch. You know, you know, even God can't save them. You know, we all have heard this, you know, at one time or or another, right? People saying these things. We limit God's grace mostly because we are afraid or we don't see, we don't believe the word of God. Whether we like it or not, the truth is we don't believe the word of God. In Ezekiel's case, he was informed. Don't worry, just go out there and just speak what I am I have told you to. Our job is just to proclaim the word of God, not to save anybody. The thing is people are saved and and brought into the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit that convicts them and reveals, illuminates the truth of the gospel to them. Your job and my job is just to speak it, just to proclaim it. Amen. God reminds Ezekiel here that if he does not inform this person, does not speak out, does not warn the person, the blood of that person will be on his own head. However, when he when the person has already received the word, when Ezekiel proclaims the word to these fellows and they hear it and they reject the warning, then Ezekiel will be released from accountability for the wicked man's decision. Simply put, he was only responsible, again, I'm, I'm repeating this, to get the message out to the best of his ability, not giving out a watered down, a half-baked version of the truth, but giving them the whole unchanged truth, amen. And when you look at the life of Ezekiel, a watchman, right, calls himself, he's a prophet Ezekiel. Today, I mean, it it, it it really scares me to think about what Ezekiel had to go through and in a sense, what God put him through. Ezekiel's obedience to God is just, was, you know, especially so, uh, I mean, exemplary when it came to living out or demonstrating so many object metaphoric lessons that God ordered him to demonstrate to the people of Israel. I mean, like his position, of course, was based on a watchman, but this watchman had to not just speak God's word. He had to, he saw what God showed him that he was going to bring. And then he went and spoke it to the people that he was supposed to deliver, right? And he also lived it out. Ezekiel's position as a watchman was based on God's appointment. God said, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Like Ezekiel today, we are God's watchmen for our families, for our communities, for our cities and our nation. You know, Acts 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where we know what Jesus said to the his disciples. But you will receive power when Power and ability, I'm reading from the Amplified Version, right? Most of the scriptures you see on screen are from the Amplified Bible, yeah? But you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. The disciples are called. Likewise, we are called. We have been filled with the Spirit of God to go carry out this commission that God has assigned to us. It's a sacred trust that God has put in our hands. Amen. Second uh, Corinthians 5.20 goes on to say, we, so we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We, as Christ's representatives, plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. This is Paul writing, right? Today, it is the same thing. God's word is the unchanging truth. Amen. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. And today, this is what we are called to do, to be watchmen, just like Ezekiel, the watchman over the house of Israel. Since God determines, you know, where we are for Esther 4 was for Esther 4 14, where Esther was talking about God having prepared her, you know, when Haman came against all the Jews, right? Esther was saying that God had prepared, I was in Esther or Mordecai for such a time as this to stand up and to be counted. Amen. How can we be the watchmen we need to be for our cities, our states, and the nations that God has called us to. How can we be God's voice? How can we be the one that God, the voice of God? Today, just like Ezekiel in, in the Old Testament, we, you and I, are God's voice to our generation. It is God that has determined us to be in Kale at Sumai Bulo, around the neighborhoods where he has placed us. We are his ambassadors, amen, The thing is, we have to understand something. The message is from God. The means to minister comes from God. The motivation for each one of us to look out for one another, to look out for the people that God has called us to look out for, is also from God, you know. God provides it. We see it in in the scriptures, in the life of Ezekiel. We see it today in our lives because to love someone, to minister to someone, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the love of God to go and minister as watchmen. Amen. It's not about us. It's not about who we are or what what we have done or what we have accomplished, but it's because of who he is and what he has deposited in our lives, his spirit, his power, his favor, his glory. Amen. One of the things we need to understand is this. You know, uh, when it comes to preaching or sharing the word, we should pray and seek the Lord because the Bible says, apart from me, Jesus said, I can, you can do nothing apart from Jesus. We can do nothing that has eternal purpose or work, right? First, we should pray for opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Second, we should pray for the ability to proclaim the gospel clearly. And third, we should trust God's provision of the exact words to say. I mean, we all have experienced it, right? We, we go to a certain place and someone comes to us and we just don't know how we got the right words to speak to that person, to speak into that person's life. And that person got ministered to by God. Amen. So we got to pray first to minister, to be the watchman we need to be. First, pray for opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Pray for the ability to proclaim the gospel clearly, effectively, not watered down, not half baked. Amen. But the true, pure gospel of truth. Third, trust God's provision for the exact words to say. Trust God's provision for the power when you lay hands on the sick. You know, many years ago, uh, someone asked me to go and pray for a certain, certain, certain person who was sick, and so I was like very, very hesitant to go and pray. La, you know, it's like goodness, quite concerned, right? Even pray for this fella, and then if he dies or something bad happens to him, then be, you know what would they think, right? And, and those guys were not from our faith as well. And they'll, they'll probably say, Oh, yo, what a terrible fellow. I came and prayed for my, my, I was praying for this person's uncle. He said, This fellow could have died, you know, just like that after this fellow prayed. I also heard of so many fellows having, uh, you know, that time in our, in our evangelistic, evangelistic team telling me, Hey, I prayed for this fellow and nothing happened and all that. This many years ago. Uh, but one man of God, he shared something very interesting. He said, At the end of the day, right, you pray for someone and the person gets healed. Who gets the glory? I said Ah, Jesus. I said yes. So he told me, if you pray for the person and that person doesn't get healed or you don't see the results with regards to what you want to see, don't uh, worry You just go and pray for the person. You just go and share the gospel with that person. Ultimately, that's what God requires. Because if he get heals, if he gets healed, God gets the glory. If it does not, it's God's problem. You know the way he said it seemed very uh candid, but it there's a lot of truth in it. Sometimes we get so tied up with, with thinking that wow, you know, it's about as we look so much into ourselves. I went to pray and he got healed, or I went, you know, I'm going to pray. Uh, you know, and what will people think about me? The fact is, it is all about God. And and when it comes to Ezekiel, right? One thing we see is He just went out there and did what God asked him to do. He was not so concerned about anything other than that. You know, it's so, uh, it's quite scary when you think about how this whole thing pans out with Ezekiel. He is called to go and speak the word of God. He decrees the word of God. He is called to live out some examples that are so scary. What I mean by that, he comes out, he, God tells him about, you know, to, to shave his head some of the the, the the so prophetic acts or the metaphoric uh, uh, acts that he did was that he had to cut, shave his hair, bota, you know, bald, right? And then God tells him, divide it in, into three portions, chop one up with a sword, burn another third, and the other one, take it and scatter it in the wind. He was talking about the, what do you call it, the children of Israel, right? Israel or Judah, that these guys are going to be some are going to be killed by the sword, some are going to be burned up, and some are going to be scattered into exile into the four corners of the earth. You know, basically everything he said came to pass. And then he had to lie on his back for uh, 430 days, 390 days on one side, that was for Israel, and then uh, I think 40, 40 40 days on the other side. You know, every morning he gets up, he goes to this place and he lies on the floor on, on the or, or, or in a place where everyone could see him. And they were wondering, what are you doing, Ezekiel? Basically, he was saying that for each day he was lying down there, it was one year of exile for Israel and, and Judah. And so 400, uh, 430 days of exile. I mean, crazy, right? A lot of people, I mean, sorry, love, but sometimes people say, hey, you know, We see a lot of prophets going around here and there. I'm not against any of these guys, but it it just makes me think, you know, what a scary thought to be called a prophet or a watchman in the time of Ezekiel. But he knew the heart of God. He knew the mind of God. He was desens, sorry, he was sensitized to know God's heart. When God's heart hurt, his heart hurt. When these fellows were coming against him and ridiculing him, he felt sad for them. He felt I'm sure he felt angry with regards to their refusal to listen to the voice of God. Yet he did what God asked him to do faithfully. He did not say, God, you know, I've already done this and they've not listened. You know, Chukobla, No, he did not. He just did what God asked him to. So no, what's what's what really blew me away uh, when I when I read Ezekiel, the thing that really blew me away was this. You know, what God asked him to do this was this. You know, his wife dies. God tells him that I will take away the delight of your eyes, but you shall not mourn for her. You know, his wife dies, and God denies him the right to cry. God denies him the right to mourn for her. Because God was saying, you know, what was it representing? It was basically the temple in Jerusalem that was the, the, the delight of the eyes of the people of Israel and Judah, to them, you know, as long as the temple was there, God's presence was there. As long as the temple was there, the favor of God was there. But God allowed the Babylonians to just destroy it, to ransack the temple. And that showed, uh, what do you call it, Israel, that God was completely displeased with them. And some commentators say that it's you know, they did not, they were so shocked to the point where they did not even have tears to cry. So that's what God did, you know, in Ezekiel's life. And that was the, 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 the uh, what do you call it, metaphorically representing what would happen to Israel and what happened to uh, to Israel and Judah after that. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, right? The temple was ransacked and they did not have tears to cry. I mean, when you think about what this guy had to go through, it really makes you, you know, understand that he was completely sold out to God, to him, he wanted the agenda of God to be carried out as much as God wanted, God had sensitized him to this level, and this is, this is, this is what, you know, this is what uh, we see in the life of Ezekiel. The next slide, thank you. We're not going to be reading verses 10 to 20, 20, but we're just going to be looking at this particular verse, right? Will we believe the word? The first one would be, will we share the word? Ezekiel shared the word at great personal cost, but he shared the word, no doubt. And when you look at the end of the chapter, in uh, chapter 33, God said this, that, you know, whether they believe it or not, every word you say will come to pass, and it did. And finally, what happened was, they knew that a prophet was in the house. They knew that God had spoken to him. They knew that God was with him. And now when you go to, to look at uh, the next part here, what's happening to Israel? The people of Judah were at two ends of the spectrum. One said that they had sinned so much that you know God you know even god will not forgive them so it's okay let's continue in our sin what's the point of you know even going back because there is no remedy for us so let's continue sinning because our sin is too great for god to forgive so let's continue where we are you know so this is one bunch then there was another who was saying that they were the people the chosen people they belong to god they were called, they are the special people who are called by God, right? They were the children of Israel, and the temple was there, right? No matter what now, even with this temple being destroyed, God will rescue them. But they were continuing in their sin. They felt that they were entitled to deliverance. They felt that they were entitled to doing whatever they wanted, and yet for God to come and deliver them. So these are two people. On one hand, these people saying that, you know, we have sinned so badly, you know, they were into idolatry. See, when the first batch of uh, the, um, what do you call it, the, the, the exiles were carried away into Babylon, uh, and, and, and then there was this second batch, right? After the first batch, the people who remained went and annexed the land. They took over the land of those that were carried away. They abused their wives. They abused their kids. They did so many terrible things. You know, this were the Israelites or the people of Judah doing wickedness to their own kind. And then they went out there and worshipped idols and did so many things. As you read it, you'll see that they did so many terrible things. And they were saying, you know, let's continue in this sin because God doesn't watch God. God is not going to deliver us. He has given us up to ruin. That was one people. There was this other group of people who were saying, it's okay, let's continue in this because ultimately God will still deliver us because... In a sense, they were saying that we deserve it, you know, and some were saying that Abraham was just one man and that one man could possess this land. Basically, they were saying that God gave Abraham this nation and because of, of him being just one person, he could take this land. And there are so many of us, how much greater um, possibly they're thinking about the synergy, synergy, if one fellow could take this much, how much more we could take with so many of us here. What they did not understand was Abraham walked in righteousness. He was called a friend of God. He had a relationship with God and he walked in reverence, submission before God. But these guys were just living in sin and they were just saying that they were entitled to whatever they wanted to do. This is a kind of a parallel to God's speaking about righteous people when the righteous man continue, you know, a, a, a man who is righteous falls into sin, he will perish because he has fallen into sin. When a wicked man repents of his sin, he will be saved because he has repented. Ultimately, the lesson for us is this: number one, there is no sin that is too great for God to forgive. It kind of like reminds me and brings me back to that place where you know um, the parable where of, of the wages, where Jesus calls in these guy's some come in early morning and they start working and they get one denarii, right? The the landowner pays them one denarii. Others come in at probably at closing time, 11 o'clock. you know, It's like in the 11th hour and they're still paid the full day's wages. And those that came in early were complaining or murmuring against the landowner saying that, Wow, you know, we came in early and we are still paid this. But the deal was for that one denarii, right? Likewise, here, even when these guys repent at the last stage, God still forgives them. The thing with God is no sin too great. As long as you turn to him, he will forgive. That's why no one is so far gone from God that he is a lost cause. You know, no one is a lost cause where God is concerned. And it is not over until God says it is over. So when we are ministering to those around us, remember this. There is always hope in Jesus. Even as Ezekiel was ministering to those fellows, God was telling them through Ezekiel that, you know, when the righteous person, you know, he, he may have lived a righteous life, but now if he falls into sin, he is going to perish because of his sin. How does that apply to us? I personally know of someone who had served God for many years. And when he fell into sin and the leaders approached him and confronted him with regards to his sin, he said these words that, you know, I'm just paraphrasing it, but they were to this effect. That God should cut him some slack on account of this man having served God faithfully over all these years. That's a scary part, right? That should make us examine our motivations every day. Why are we serving the Lord? Does serving define us? Or is it because we are, you know, sons and daughters of God? He's our heavenly father and we want to please him. We want to do what is right in his sight because we love him. Or is it because we want something from him? Is it because we want to use God as a means of promoting ourselves instead? Or have we dumped God's agenda aside and gone after our own agenda? All these false entitlements when people go into sin deliberately and they say that God should cut us some slack. This is what God was saying, you know. When it comes to God, he, he, he was really upset with these guys. And he said, you know, this is not where I want you guys to be. Verse 33, sorry, chapter 33, 10 to 11. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you have said, truly our transgressions. Now sins are on us, and we are rotting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back in repentance from your evil days. For why should you die, O house of Israel? You see, God was and is always a pro-life person. God is pro-life. Amen. God is life. Amen. The way, the truth, the life. Jesus is. And God is pro-life. When we come to God sometimes, and when you're praying, one of the things we are dealing with today is that in the last week itself i had so many friends of mine believers in jesus asking me my goodness what's happening with with not just malaysia but around the world now we've, we've got something called a delta variant or something like that and so many other things are happening with the virus um, another friend of mine said you know it's not a pandemic it's a pandemic, just planned by some people i think the only person i i can think of who could have planned it which we all could think of was, is the devil because he is killing, stealing and destroying lives. The thing is they're saying what's happening? What's happening? See, God allows certain things so that we can come back to him. God allows certain things so that his people can be purified. God allows certain things so that we will return to the Father. God operates on his timing and his terms. We cannot dictate terms to God because if we could dictate terms to God, he will be our Orang Suruhan and we will be God. But he is God. We are his creatures. We are his sons and daughters, yes, but we are still his creatures. He is our God and we are to remember and we would do well to submit to him in reverence. Amen. I was very, very, you know, this this particular verse uh, always bothers me sometimes. It's a good verse. You, you know, a lot of us know this very well. You know, Psalm 25, 14, I just got this thought. Somebody just shared it with you guys. You know, when God says that uh, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, that is with his friends, he shares the secrets of his covenant. I was looking at one particular uh, commentary by some guy uh, in the 1800s and he was saying that before God does it, and, and when you look at some Bibles actually sorry let me sidetrack a bit, when you look at some Bibles, that particular verse Psalm 25 14 would be cross reference to Amos 3.3 and Amos 3.7. The thing is this particular commentator was saying that before God does anything, before anything good or bad happens in the world God reveals this to his servants, the prophets. God reveals it to his friends first. You know, lots of things that happened in the world. And sadly, I don't know which friend to, uh, got God's message because if they got God's message, they didn't channel it to the church. Going back to the issue of the watchman, Ezekiel got the word of God. He knew exactly what was going to happen because God had spoken to him. God gave him his message in such clarity and precision. Ezekiel went out and delivered the Word of God with clarity and precision. The thing is this, we have to for us today, I believe with all my heart that we have to seek God to understand His ways. Don't worry about whatever we have done in the past or even what we you know where we are now. God's grace is based on his mercy, not on our merit. It's not on what we have done or what we have not done, but it is based on who he is and what he has done on the cross of Calvary through Jesus. Amen. God, you know, Pastor Chu is taking us through the study of Revelation, right? When you read Revelation, you know, this seal is open, that seal is open, and we are going to uh, the time where a lot, lots of things are happening down you know, in in the world. Yet, you'll see a small note that says, yet, despite all these things, the people did not repent of their wickedness. Yet, despite all these things, the people did not repent from their wickedness. You know what that tells me? Even to that level, to that time, God's door was still open for people to repent. That is the God we serve. I'll tell you a very interesting story short one. I know someone who was in a, a HDU, high dependency, ward. you know, uh, a believer, a man of God. And he, as he was lying down on his bed, the person next to him in the next bed, his kids came and they were speaking to him about the Lord. He just said, it's okay, you know, it's okay. I was born uh, dot, 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 so I shall exit the planet as a dot, dot, dot. I will come in the way uh, I'll go out the way I came in you know So, but his family members were praying and this man of God he was lying next to him in this hospital bed and then after about an hour or so this, this guy who did not know the Lord had died what happened was the family just kept praying and praying and praying and praying for this guy saying God You know, he does not know you. Please be merciful to him. And then uh, the hospital personnel came and then they kind of like told the family to to step outside and they're trying to get this guy sorted out. After that, they tagged him or something like that. And then as they left, the man of God was lying in the next bed. He heard the voice of God saying, you know, go to this man, put your hands on him. You know, get up from your bed, go to lay your hands on him. And command life to come back. So he did that. He got up, went to him, put his hands on him and commanded life to come back. And he came back alive. Of course, the family that was standing outside, they rushed in and they asked him, you know, they were were glad to see him back. And they asked him what happened. And he said, as he was leaving, he cried out to Jesus, said, Jesus, save me. Cut the long story short, the family managed to minister the gospel to him again, get him you know, into the kingdom. He accepted Jesus, and two hours after that, he went to be with the Lord. I mean, to me, that's like God wants, God desperately wants people to come into fellowship with him, to come into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus he puts it so clearly, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn from his way and live. So as we look at what is happening around us today, remember this, God's grace goes beyond our understanding. God's grace reaches farther than anything we can even think or imagine. And today, whatever has happened in our lives, Even as God's designated watchman, as we come to God and ask him to forgive us, as we come to God and ask him to realign us, recalibrate us to where he wants us to be, he will do it. Because it is is in accordance to his word. It is in accordance to his will. Amen. Praise God. Can I go to the next slide? Thank you. You know, this, this, this is really something. <laughs> when you look at Ezekiel 33, verses 32 to 33, the last chapter, the last verses here on this chapter, right? God is telling them to the people who will not hear the message of the Lord. Behold, you are to them like a love song by one who has a pleasant voice and plays well on a string instrument merely to entertain them. For they hear your words, but do not practice them. So when it comes to pass, as it most certainly will, then they will know without any doubt that a prophet has been among them. Of course, when the words come to pass, they will know, right? When judgment happens, they will know that the prophet was there amongst them. Many times, you know, in churches, we listen to sermons, we tell ourselves, wow, that was so good. That was you know such a beautiful sermon, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But are we allowing the word of God to take root, in, root inside us? Are we allowing that word to grow inside of us? Are we allowing that word to live out through us? You know, the best form of believing in the life of Ezekiel we saw is living it from inside out. Ezekiel became the message that God wanted to speak to the people. When you look at Ezekiel, what he was doing, how he was living out his life, that was what God was telling Israel were like, you know, he was bringing that message to God. He was bringing God's heart to the people. Ezekiel lived out his message and embraced the burden God assigned to him. He did not run off. I mean, you know, he did not run away somewhere or, you know, just tell God that I did not I do not want to do it. The only time Ezekiel negotiated with God was when God told Ezekiel to take, uh, you know, human excrement and bake food, you know, cook bread on top of it, right? And he said, "God, you know, please, you know, I've not touched anything uh, unclean. I don't want to defile myself. God, said, okay? Use cow dung instead." to cook the food. What was uh, that to symbolize? That was to symbolize, uh, you know, a desperate state of the nation to the point where uh, why God said human excrement was like, you know, they needed the animals, right? But now the, the place was so bad that they got, they had no more animals, cannot get uh, animal excrement. So they had to go to human excrement, but they had not reached that level yet. But that's what God was trying to, Uh, conveyed to the people. And that's what Ezekiel was supposed to have played out. But again, that was the only time Ezekiel negotiated with God. Apart from that, he lived out his message. He embraced the burden God had assigned to him. The question for us is this. When people see us, do they see Jesus? Is Jesus, Jesus alive in us? Are we truly diffusing the fragrance of his knowledge as watchmen? A lot of times, we think of watchmen as those guys who are praying, interceding, you know, in some cave and stuff like that. Praise God. I'm sure there are watchmen who are interceding in some caves and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is a watchman is supposed to come out and convey what he sees. A watchman is supposed to come out and declare God's heart and mind to the people. A watchman is supposed to come out and live it out so that others can see God's life, God's glory. And God's presence manifested in him. Amen. It is to be more like Jesus. And and it is to see the transformation happening first in our lives. To see the transformation being manifested through our lives. Ezekiel lived out his message and embraced the word. The burden that God assigned to him. Today, I want us to go to God. Even as we prepare our hearts, I want us to pray and ask him to come and minister to us. I want us to repent of the times where we slacked, we shirked away and moved away from what God has called us to. I want us to also repent from placing problems, challenges, our own weaknesses for people's attitudes above the power, the redemptive power of God. God's mercy is greater than all this. God's redemptive powers. God is able to redeem us from destruction. God is able to redeem us and restore us to where he wants us to be. God is able. God is willing. The question to us today is, are we going to allow him to do that in our lives? The question to us this morning, do we want to see Jesus alive in us? Do we truly want to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge as his sons and daughters, as his hands and feet, as his body on earth, as his watchmen? I mean, if you look at Ezekiel, it's extreme obedience, right? But that shows us that he can so much He had so much passion for God, so much passion for his name, the name of God, so much passion for his glory. I'm sure God is not going to ask us to to go through what Ezekiel did, but where we are today, let us be the people who will see the greater works that Jesus mentioned manifested in us and through us for his glory. Amen. Father, make us more like Jesus this morning. Make us more and more like Jesus. That each, each of us will be transformed daily, moment by moment, into the very image of Jesus. Just want you, church, to lift your hands to the Lord this morning. We're going to pray. And after this, we've got the altar call rooms open. If there is a need, there are members of the prayer team who will be praying for you after this. But right now, I want us to go before God, right? I'm going to pray for God to give us vision, insight, and revelation with regards to what he is doing. Ezekiel knew the mind of God. He knew the heart of God. He knew his assignment. He knew the one who had commissioned him. This morning, let us come before God, even as we are there, covered by the blood of Jesus in our homes, in our living rooms, you know, wherever we are today. Even as the music plays, I'm going to pray. I want us to just connect with the Lord. I know we are connected, but let's take this to another level. Father, you are here in SIBKL at Sunai Bulo because you are the God of SIBKL at Sumai Bulo. God, we count it a privilege that you have assigned us to be your sons and daughters, your watchmen, your sentinels over the cities, over the homes, over the states, over the nations that you have assigned to us. And Father, we ask today for your forgiveness in the areas where we have slack, in the areas where we have Become obstinate or complacent in the areas where we have wrote off others or even people groups, in the areas where we have agreed with the enemy and spoken what is not your word. If we have spoken death over one another or death over this nation or any nation, they've spoken words that do not line up with your word. Forgive us, cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. Father, this morning we take authority over any word spoken by any one of us that, dine, that, that does not line up with your word. We erase it by the blood of Jesus. We erase the legal implications. We erase, Lord, any demonic seed that has been sown by your people. We command crop failure over those demonic seeds in Jesus' name. And Father, we ask that, God, what is planted in our lives will be what your Holy Spirit has deposited, what your Holy Spirit is depositing, what is in line with your word, your will, and your purpose. And we as a people, as your sons and daughters, will walk into the destiny that you have ordained for us. We will be hearing your voice clearer than any other voice. Any clutter, anything that prevents us from connecting with you in our lives will be removed in Jesus' name. That God, your spirit will prevent us from focusing or engaging worthless things. Father, if there be any legal ground given to the enemy for our destruction today, we ask for your forgiveness. We erase that legal access into our lives, into our families, into our church and into our cities by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. We thank you that we are here because of your mercy, not because of our merit. And we thank you, Father, that God, we are moving forward. We will move forward as your sons and daughters, as your watchmen over the city, as your watchmen in our spheres of existence and influence. Father, let our words be seasoned with salt. Let our minds be your mind, the mind of Christ, that each one of us will be armed with the mind of Christ, the humble mind of Christ, the mind that is your mind, to know your ways. Yes, Isaiah said your ways are higher than ours. But God, your word says that we have your mind, the mind of Christ. And therefore we have perfect knowledge in every situation. Help us to live out our lives pleasing to you. Let nothing that you have spoken over our lives fall dead to the ground powerless. But every word that you have decreed over us, let it be established according to your good pleasure. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that today, even as we have gathered in this place, in SIBKL at Sumai Bodo, your word, your will, and your purpose will be established. It will grow, take root, and bring forth a hundredfold harvest over our lives for those that need healing, Father, for those that need breakthroughs, Father, just ask for your a release of a fresh anointing, a fresh anointing over this our church. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always, abide with you, strengthen you, And sustain you According to his good pleasure In Jesus name Amen